In the previous passage from last week, the Apostle Paul taught us about contentment. And today, he teaches us something about generosity. You can't afford not to give. Now, they may have some grammatical issues with that statement, but just get over that. So I want to make a point with it. We can't afford not to give. There was a pastor who met with one of his parishioners. This was a very, very successful businessman. And this businessman wanted to come to his pastor with a problem that he had. And he came to him and they met. And he said, Pastor, I can't afford to give in a way that is proportional with my wealth. The pastor said, well, okay, well, explain that to me. The man said, when I was a young young man in business and didn't have a whole lot, I could afford to give. In fact, I gave 10% and above 10%. It really didn't amount to that much money. But now, if I just gave 10%, Pastor, do you know how much money that would be? I can't afford to give. And the pastor looked at him and said, Brother, you can't afford not to give. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray to God that he might reduce your wealth to such a level where you can once again say, I can afford to give. We can't afford not to give. And Paul tells us why. In fact, in our passage today, I count at least four benefits in being generous. Four benefits that we receive through giving. And then there's one ending. The four benefits, Paul ends with doxology. As I said earlier, theology is doxology. If we really understand theology rightly, it will result in doxology. It will result in praise. So today we'll look at this passage of scripture and you'll find the sermon outline, you'll find the four benefits. Uh, One benefit would be that we share in the life and ministry of those who we support. Another benefit is that being generous and giving to the work of the Lord always has a great return on our investment We get a dividend payment, and we all love dividends, don't we? And then thirdly, it's pleasing to God. It's like a fragrant aroma. And fourthly, when we give and when we are generous with the right motives, we actually find that generosity begets generosity. We receive God's generosity. And then we'll conclude by being generous as well as all other aspects of the doctrine of God or occasion for giving thanks, for praising him for doxology. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come to this passage of scripture toward the very end of the book of Philippians, what a blessing it's been to study your word through Paul, your word to us through Paul. And today we count on you to speak to our hearts, open our hearts, that we might be changed 
by your word today, O Holy Spirit, as you work that word in our hearts. Make me faithful in preaching. Make us faithful in hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20 in your Bibles and read along as I read for us. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And as we conclude our scripture readings uh, most days, we need to be reminded once again that the word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect. It does revive the soul. And may it revive our souls uh, today. So the first point that we'll look at today, the first benefit, is this benefit of sharing in the life and gospel ministry of others. So look to verse 14, the first benefit. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So last week we looked at verses 10 through 13, and there the Apostle Paul taught us that he was joyful He was joyful over the renewed relationship with the Philippians because there was a bit of a support hiatus. The Philippians did not have occasion to support Paul, and they renewed their support. And today we find the Apostle Paul saying, I am grateful for you, but primarily, but I'm also grateful for the gift. And in fact, in verse 14, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now, we support a number of ministries, organizations, and those organizations have people that minister, but we also support missionaries, individuals and individual families that are serving somewhere around uh, the world, and we share in their support. Now, one of the things you may or may not know that our missions committee has done is that they require our missionaries to send support letters back to us. Now, why would they do that? Because our missionaries need something to do? No. Because of the principle that we see in verse 14. We give to them, and one of the benefits is that we share in their life. We have a stake in their lives, the well, their well-being, the well-beings of their family. We have a stake in their ministry. And so we want to know how they're doing. We want to know how to pray for them. We're a family. We're together. We're linked through giving financially, through giving in prayer. And we want to know how the work is going. 
because we really are able to say that we have a work, Covenant Presbyterian Church, we have a work in France. We have a work in Italy. We have a work in Japan. We have a work in Latin America. We have a work in Mexico. We have a work in England. We have a work in Peru. And we have a work in this very well-known country of undisclosed. There are some mission fields where must be undisclosed because of security. So we, we have a work in undisclosed. We share in our representatives, our families work in these places. There are hands and feet there. We share in their lives. The Apostle Paul said, one of the benefits of being generous, one of the benefits of giving is that you share in my trouble. We're able to come alongside of our missionaries and rejoice with them and to weep with them. It's a benefit to the giver sharing in life and ministry of those whom we support. Now there's a second benefit that I find here. It is the benefit of a great return on the investment. Now, if you were paying attention to our stock market <laughs> this past week, I had to, um, you might have had to take some nausea medicine. It was like getting seasick. It was up and down and all around. And maybe some of our returns in the stock market didn't return so much. But we're not talking about the stock market. Though Paul uses business and finance language here in verse 17, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he's talking about their, their little bank account, so to speak, getting a return on their investment in Paul's support. Now what's amazing about this passage is we just look at verses 15, 16, and 17 together, is that, that the, the Philippians began giving to Paul and his ministry at the very beginning of the church. It might be a great church planting strategy that as these new churches are, as a new church is being planted, to right off the bat start giving to other ministries, start giving to missionaries. Might be a one of the best ways to grow a young church. Well, that's what the Philippians did. In verse 15, in the beginning of the gospel, I think that means in the beginning of the gospel that was breaking forth in Macedonia. Remember Acts 16? Paul was there in Galatia, received the Macedonian vision, and he just skipped Asia Minor, and in obedience went right to Macedonia, went right to Philippi, Remember Lydia's conversion, the jailer's conversion, their family's conversion, the church being planted there in Philippi. Paul stayed for some days, Acts 16 says. And what we find is that young church immediately, in the beginning of the gospel, breaking forth in Macedonia, in the beginning of the gospel, 
establishing the church in Philippi, they began supporting Paul. They were generous. And it even references the fact that when Paul left Philippi and went down the road, still in Macedonia, to Thessalonica and eventually Berea, they continued supporting Paul in Thessalonica. And then when Paul left Macedonia and went to Achaia, Athens, and Corinth, they continued supporting Paul. So they overseas, not overseas, but foreign missions <laughs> right there in what we know today as Greece. And what's amazing, just flip to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. You can read that, but I'll just refer to it. We learn of the giving heart of the Philippians, the Macedonians. There the Apostle Paul says that they gave out of their poverty. They had joy in giving. They gave to support Paul's ministry in Macedonia. They gave to support Paul's ministry in Achaia. And 2 Corinthians 8 is specifically in reference to the Philippians giving to support the church in Jerusalem. They gave out of their poverty. They were generous with what they had. Listen, the best investment that we can make is in kingdom work. And when we do, there is a return on that investment. Paul says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, verse 17. And what might that fruit be? I suggest we continue with Paul's business financial language here. Maybe some of you are dividend investors. There are, there's this group of, of companies that are called aristocrat dividend stocks. These are companies that have increased their dividends 25 years and more consecutively. And there are other requirements that you must meet to be an aristocrat dividend investment. But every year for over 25 years, the dividend is increased regardless of how the stock is doing on any given day. So, dividend payments are made by these companies to share some of the profits with their investors. And it's one strategy in investing. Well, investing in the work of the gospel provides a dividend payment to the giver. Paul says that there is fruit that increases. There are dividends that are paid to you as a return on your investment. Here are just some examples, and I get these from Brother Hendrickson. One just dividend payment that we might receive is just simply the love of God. God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. A good conscience, assurance of salvation, enriched fellowship, a broadened outlook of what's going on in people's lives around the world and the church universal increased joy and love. There are dividend payments that are made to us as we are generous. Proverbs eleven twenty five: whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. The benefits of, of generosity are sharing in the lives and ministries 
of those whom we support, but it's also receiving a great return, dividend payments on our investments. Giving with the right motive enriches the giver. It's a benefit. And thirdly, third benefit of generosity is that giving with the right motive is giving to please God. Paul uses the language from the Old Testament sacrificial system. If you look at verse 18, the gifts you sent, and he defines the gifts that the Philippians sent as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So I don't know how many of you give online. I don't know how many of you give by bill pay. I don't know how many of you give by writing checks. Uh, I typically write a check. I do all kinds of things online. And so we have all these various ways that you can be generous to Covenant Presbyterian Church. And I'm sure just about every other worthy cause out in Christendom probably has the same types of ways to give. But one thing that's common amongst all of these waves is that you've got to designate to give somebody, right? And so there's this two, who are you going to give the gift to? And so on my check, I write my tithe check to Covenant Presbyterian Church. Actually, I say CPC. The Philippians designated their gift, we find in verse 18, to the Apostle Paul. Paul says, uh, I am well supplied having received from Aphroditus the gifts you sent. Just before that, he said that you've, you've made full payment and more. They gave over and above to the Apostle Paul that amply met his needs. But they gave to Paul, right? Yes, but not only. Ultimately, they gave to God. And the Old Testament sacrificial system describes the burnt offering as a sacrifice that was one of costly devotion. It cost the giver something to offer that sacrifice. And as he came and gave out of devotion with, with a right motive, as he gave to God to please him, then that gift was accepted. And it was a pleasing aroma in God's nostrils. And so what Paul is saying here is that, yes, on the, on the two line, you did write Paul, you gave to me, but ultimately that gift was to God to please him. So Christ abrogated the sacrificial system, but the principle still remains, the principle of an offering being accepted and pleasing because it represented costly devotion, that continues. So go back to Genesis chapter 4, we find two brothers bringing an offering to the Lord. Of course, you know, Abel's offering was from the flock. And he brought that and presented it to the Lord. And Cain's offering was from the fruit of the ground. And he brought that to the Lord. But as you remember, God accepted only Abel's offering. And so we ask, why? I think it has something to do with Abel had right motives. Abel brought that offering 
to please God. Abel's heart was one of devotion to God, costly devotion to honor him with the, with the first of the flock. And if you read the first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 4, it doesn't take long to figure out that there was something really messed up with Cain's heart. We might even say Cain had an evil heart. And we can conclude then that, that Cain, get, Cain went through the motion. And you know, sometimes we just go through the motion, right? We, we just give. We're, we're generous, but we just go through the motion. And that's what Cain did. He just went through the motion, but his heart wasn't in it. didn't have right motives. It wasn't, didn't represent costly devotion to God. And God rejected his offering. And so true giving... We may give to missionaries, we may give to other ministries, but ultimately that gift is to God. And it's acceptable, it is a fragrant offering to God when it's given with the right motive, when it's given out of costly devotion to God. And I think we see this in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9-7. This idea of, of the right heart motive, and costly devotion. When, when Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me tell you something. My experience is this. If we're just going through the motions and giving, we are not going to be all that cheerful about it. Why? Because we're just going through the motion. Our heart's not in it. We don't have the right motives. It's not really costly devotion. But God loves a cheerful giver. And when our heart is in it, when it's the right motives, when it really represents costly devotion, there's a joy in giving to the Lord. So when we designate our gifts to whatever Christian work we may be funding, we put two, two Covenant Presbyterian, two step, two RUF, whatever it might be. But we need to be thinking, really, God should be on that two line. God is on that two line. And as I give with the right motive out of a heart of costly devotion, God accepts it. It is a pleasing aroma. It's a benefit to give to please God. It represents costly devotion. So we, we benefit by being generous as we share in the life and ministries of those whom we support, as we give and that return on our investment is credited to our little accounts, that dividend payment is made, and it's a benefit as we give to please God Faithful giving reflects costly devotion to God, and this rises up to him as a fragrant offering. And just to think that my little teeny tiny gifts that amount to near nothing in the economy of all that God owns, he accepts and it's pleasing to him as a fragrant offering. There is joy and cheerfulness in giving, and we benefit by giving to please God. And fourthly, the benefit of God's fatherly care. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, some of you are old enough to remember in the early 90s we had our first Building to Serve campaign. That Building to Serve campaign was to encourage our stewardship so that we could have enough money to build the fellowship hall and develop this property out here. In fact, our first worship service in the fellowship hall was January of 1994, and some of you were there. You remember that. You remember the Building to Serve campaign. I call it the Bubblehead campaign because on our little envelopes, we had, <laughs> we had the Bubblehead people in giving. Um, but the, do you remember the motto of that campaign? Anybody remember the motto? Just shout it out. We're Presbyterians. We can talk and worship. Yes, not equal gift, not equal dollars. Like I gave a dollar, that means Tom has to give a dollar. No, not equal gift, but equal sacrifice. Because God is not so much interested in the dollar figure. He's interested in the devotion. He's interested in the sacrifice that is required for that. Well, so we were asked to give over and above what we normally were giving to. General fund, missions, uh, faith promise, whatever other giving, deacons fund, to give over and above, and even to other organizations, to give over and above that. In other words, what we were told to do was, was to make giving hurt <laughs> a little bit, you know, to give sacrificially. You got to give up this in order to give to the building. And, and I, when we first had the, the people come in to tell us about this campaign, I was a little skeptical about all this business of non-equal gift but equal sacrifice. And if you really teach stewardship, it's, it's going to increase giving in every area of your church. And it was true. Our people sacrificed and gave. Kids were giving their babysitting money and stocks were, and things were being sold and money given and it increased giving in our general fund and our missions giving. Why? Because the, the, the principle of generosity begets generosity. We give sacrificially and trust God to provide for our needs and that was what was taught and that's what we did and God worked in and through us and we did the same thing in building the sanctuary because of this principle of generosity begets generosity when we trust God to supply our needs we are freed up to give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 2, I've already referred to the, the Macedonians giving out of their poverty, but just listen to this. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And here's that principle plainly put. We can never outgive God. And why is this true? Because God supplies our needs. But we need to take it one step further, the step that Paul takes. 
God provides our needs, and, and look at verse 19, according to his riches in Christ. I have limited resources, in case you don't know. And everyone here today, regardless of your wealth, you have limited resources. The founder of Service Master, who's now with the Lord, as I understand it, Ken Hansen, I was actually told by someone who knew him personally for many, many years. And Ken Hansen founded Service Master, and I believe that was headquartered in Chicago, and was worth millions of dollars. And I was told by this mutual friend that Ken Hansen gave 80% of his wealth to world evangelization. 80%. Now, 80% of millions is a lot of money. But do you know Ken Hansen had limited resources? Maybe millions, but he still had limited resources. The wealthiest among us have limited resources. But God doesn't. God supplies our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. His resources are limitless, infinite. And to use the, the, the business, finance, language, motif once again, God's balance in his bank account does not have a number as a bottom line. It has a symbol. You know what that symbol is? It's a, it's a lazy eight. Just think of a, the, the number eight and lay it on its side. It's the sign for infinity, infinity. In other words, God has unlimited resources, and out of those unlimited resources, as we give to him sacrificially, he has promised us to supply our need. Now, we've got a problem because we oftentimes confuse need and want, don't we? That what I want, I can, and I'm, I'm a very adept at doing this, by the way, I can very easily convince myself that this want is a need. But the good news is, regardless of how confused I am about it, and maybe how deceptive I am with myself, God is not. God knows perfectly our needs. And he also knows what our, what our wants are as well that are not our needs. And he supplies what we need. That's what the text says. We could say that God cares for us. God cares for us and God supplies what we need in an eschatological sense. That's a big fancy theological word <laughs> that does result in doxology once you understand it. That refers to the end times. Uh, God cares for us and provides for our eternal security, for a home in heaven. But this passage is not about God's, merely God's eschatological care for us. It is about God's care for us today. He cares for us in the here and now as we are generous, as we overflow in generosity like the poor Macedonians. God has said that I will supply, I will care for you in the present. The, the passage that Jim read from Malachi speaks about bringing the, the full tithe into the storehouse. 
and thereby put many to test, says the Lord, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no need. God's, God's supply for our needs. And then the very well-known passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Jesus' words, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Implying he's going to provide. And then Jesus says, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We benefit by being generous in sharing in the lives of those whom we support in their ministry. That's a benefit to us sharing. We benefit in being generous because there's always a great return on our investment, dividend payments made. We benefit for the privilege of giving to please God and that our little gifts are a fragrant aroma in the throne room of heaven to him. And we benefit as we give sacrificially knowing that God is going to supply what we need. Dr. Fee said this, when one thinks on the riches of God lavished on us in Christ Jesus, what else is there to do but to praise and worship? And in verse 20, the Apostle Paul brings us to this fifth reality here in this passage that these four benefits come to this place of doxology praise to our God and Father be glory forever and ever amen and this is a fitting conclusion for all that we've said thus far on generosity and especially in light of God supplying our needs as we give generously but it's also a fitting conclusion for the the main part of Paul's letter. He's wrapping everything up. All these wonderful theological statements that he's made throughout the letter that we've had the privilege to study together comes to this, this high point of doxology, of, of praise. We can't afford not to give. Ultimately, we can't afford not to give because our giving is doxology. Our giving is worship and we were created to be worshipers of God generosity does benefit the giver we benefit by sharing in the lives and ministries of others we we benefit from that great return on our investment those dividend payments we benefit that our giving is to God and he's pleased with our giving when we give with the right motive as costly devotion. And we benefit by knowing that God cares for us. And that's an occasion to worship and to praise and to adore and to honor God. In closing, I, I want us to just think about 
another text of scripture. And let me ask you to, to turn to Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. So very quickly, Luke 21, 1 through 4. I'm going to read it for us. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And here's my question for us. What represents the widow's two small copper coins in our lives? She gave all she had because she had in God all she could ever want. And the same is true for you and me as well. We really can't afford not to be generous. Generosity benefits us, and generosity is doxology. But I think one of the greatest values of generosity may be that giving generously means we actually have less. Maybe not like the widow, she gave all she had. But as we give as much as we can to the work of God, that's less stuff that we might put our trust in that would hinder us from trusting God. So a benefit that Paul really doesn't address here, but I find to be true, is that giving is protective. We give less or we give more, we have less. We will not trust in our things as much We trust God more. We really can't afford not to give. God will have no rivals. And he demands costly devotion. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you might enable us to continue. This church is so generous. But Father, enable us to continue to be generous. Enable us to continue to be more and more like the Philippian Christians who just had joy in giving out of their poverty. Lord, help us to contemplate what those two small copper coins of that widow might, might be in our lives that we just give with the right motive as costly devotion and benefit from all of these things. But ultimately, Lord, our giving forces us to press more into you and to trust you more. Father, continue to bless covenant, bless us as we seek to be generous people That's dox that, that we might offer praise and thanksgiving to you, that our giving, our generosity might truly be doxology. And we pray this 